Welcome to Speak for Yourself, jam-packed show today, so I got to get right to it. Slick Rick Buecher, Joy Taylor, co-host of The Herd, NFL Insider, my guy Dave Hellman. And I'm glad I got you here, Dave. You're a Dallas guy, right? I am. And the word on the street is the Dallas Cowboys have a clear path to mm. the Super Bowl. At least that's what I'm hearing. Why? Because for the first time in a seemingly very long time, there aren't that many competitive teams in the NFC. Competitive quarterbacks, yes. But competitive teams, mm, not necessarily. We know Aaron Rodgers lost to Vontae Adams, plus the Packers, usually they're one and done anyway. Tom Brady, as great as he is, and he's the greatest ever, he's still about to be 44 years of age. We haven't seen a repeat Super Bowl champion since 03-04, so are the Rams really going to run it back? Kyler Murray. Good old Kyler Murray. They can't even figure out the dude's contract, at least not the language in it. So the Dallas Cowboys, they might, they just might have a clear path to the Super Bowl, at least externally. But internally, that's where I find the flaws. Dave Hellman, I'm coming to you first because outside of Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones, I would submit that nobody knows more about Cowboys football than you, sir. That's mm. high praise. It is. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Well, mm. I mean, after that intro, I feel like we need to start planning the parade. Like, just the, <laughs> the way you took that, I, I don't know, man. Do they have a clear path? They have a path in the sense that all you have to do is get to the playoffs. And before you roll your eyes at me, last year's Super Bowl was two four seeds. Cincy and, and, and L.A., for all we talk about the Rams, they were the four seed in the playoffs last year. So it is possible. But, like, when you look at it, and again, like, you, that was such a favorable breakdown, but okay, one and you talk about the Packers being one and done. What are the Cowboys? Cowboys haven't made a deep run in the playoffs in 25 years. Then you think about Tampa Bay, who they lost to last year. You think about the Rams, who look loaded again. Um, I still don't see the Cowboys as one of the two or three strongest teams in the NFC. So can they get to the playoffs? Can they? Can they? Do they have a technical path? Yes. Do I think that's likely? Not really. I'm not drinking Kool Aid. But I am offering Kool-Aid. That may surprise <laughs> you. I'm not buying that the Dallas Cup. And it's not a path. You're right, Dave. It's not, it's not a clear path. It's a path. Well, actually, it's sort of a tightrope <laughs> over fire. Okay? And to your point, you have all the internal issues. Okay? Dak Prescott has to be the MVP that he was the first half of the season. C.D. Lamb has to demonstrate that he can be a genuine number one receiver. The defense in Micah Parsons has to be what it was a year ago. All of those things have to happen uh, in order for the Dallas Cowboys to be competitive. But then the, ex the external. Mm. Ryan Jensen has to demonstrate that he's the Jenga piece for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and that Tom Brady is not going to be the same. Aaron Rodgers has to have uh, psychedelic flashbacks and has to miss <laughs> Devontae Adams. Um, the Rams have to prove that they're, they're going to miss Andrew Whitworth, Whitworth and yep. Von Miller. So a number of the other teams out there, because as uh, – and I – uh, rely on Fox Bet to tell me what is going on. Right now, as it stands, the Dallas Cowboys have the uh, eighth best chance of winning the Super Bowl and the fifth best chance among NFC teams. So they need four teams to fall down in front of them. Could they? Yes. And could all those things happen for the Dallas Cowboys? Yes. But all of those things are going to have to, hap have to happen, happen for the Dallas Cowboys to get to the Super Bowl. We're not talking about the Dallas Cowboys going to the Super Bowl until they win a second playoff game. So they win a first playoff game, actually. I have no they argument. won three <laughs> playoff games in the last 26 years. 
We are not talking about the Dallas Cowboys going to but the Super Bowl. But we are. I'm not doing it. Y'all doing it. I'm not doing it. The Dallas Cowboys have to make it to the playoffs and then win a playoff game and then win another playoff game before we talk about them as Super Bowl contenders. We do this every single year. I told you I got completely wasted off Cowboys Kool-Aid last year. I am still hungover. I am not doing it again. Yes, they have lots of players that I love. They have lots of things about the Cowboys that I love. But you have to put it together. Winning your division in the NFC East is not what you are aiming for. That does not make you a contender. Is the NFC lighter than we have seen it in years past? Sure. Diet plan. Sure. You've got, I don't know, the Super Bowl winning Rams and the NFC who doesn't seem like they're taking a step back in any way. I understand how yeah. difficult it is lost to repeat. Did, did Rams, Rams lost a lot of pieces. Mm, all right, this is Cowboys topic. Rams, Rams are going to be okay. They're, they're going to be pretty good. So I think so. I think the, I think the Rams are going to be all right. Cardinals. Yep. Okay. They got the contract done, right? That's yeah. the, that, that aside, I feel like the Cardinals will be all right as well. You still have the Niners, obviously a rookie contract, but a rookie uh, quarterback. Packers, back-to-back MVP. Some people feel like the Vikings will be better. You've got Philly in your own division. Are they lighter? Sure. But the Cowboys have done absolutely nothing to earn the respect of being talked about as a Super Bowl contender. Absolutely nothing. That's fair. But as I look at it, and y'all know me, I'm an Eagles guy. The Eagles cut me significantly more money than the Cowboys. <laughs> well, the Cowboys did pay me a little something-something when me and Hellman used to work together. How'd you um, get your start, man? Come that on. is. That is. I never forget where I came from. I was born and raised in Dallas. 214 is still the area code. That's why I will say this. The Bengals, Joy, they didn't have a history of winning. And they found themselves in the Super Bowl. What did the Bengals have? They had a great quarterback. And what did the Bengals have? They had a brilliant offensive mind. I don't think the Cowboys head coach is a brilliant offensive mind by no means. Y'all know how I feel about Mike McCarthy? I'll talk more about that later. But Kellen Moore. I do think Kellen Moore is a brilliant offensive mind. I'm not in love with Dak Prescott. I know you aren't a Dak Prescott apologist. You are. I don't love him. However, I do think that it's not just about how good the Cowboys can be. How bad can the NFC Mm. be? Trey Lance, I'm not a believer until he makes me a believer. Kyler Murray, I'm not a believer until he makes me a believer. Aaron Rodgers, without Devontae Adams, he has to make me a believer. I'm with Joy Taylor, though. The Rams, I do think, are good. I'm just banking on the statistical probability that you haven't seen a repeat champion in 20 years. But I do believe the Rams are good. If not now for the Cowboys, though, Joy... Then when? But what have the Cowboys done to make to earn That's my that thing. from you? That, I, you I feel the same way. You all these other teams. What have the Cowboys done? <sighs> and, You're not going to get another glowing and, introduction, and, by the way. <laughs> clearly, yeah, I know, right? For that matter, we weren't talking about the Bengals and 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 them making it to the Super Bowl after we this year. We weren't. So that wasn't the conversation. We're just going to pick random teams that might but make it to can, the Super Bowl. We can do can that. that. But the Cowboys have earned nothing in this space. But you can take that both ways. Because we weren't talking about the Bengals and they stepped up and ended up going there, that opens the door for if everything goes right with the Dallas Cowboys. Much of everything went right for the Cincinnati Bengals last year. Mm -hmm. And I am with you. The reason I stumbled as much as I did, because it's uncomfortable for me to be talking this glowingly about the Dallas Cowboys and their their chances to go all the way. I can't say it. But that said, there is... Because of the NFC and the way it is, there is a path. Like, I can make an argument 
how they could potentially get there. Yeah, no, no, no. There is a path. Like, there's a way. But I could make an argument for lots of teams on how, if everything fell the right way and the wind was blowing this way and the shade was just right, Mm -hmm. that we captured the perfect picture that they could walk through the tunnel into, you know, Naria. You you make an interesting point, too, Rick, which is, like, what did the Bengals do last year? They snuck up on everybody. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And Cowboy fans, I am talking to you. I'm sorry, your team's never going to sneak up on anybody because you disappointed in the playoffs last year and we're leading a national TV show talking about it. Like, this would have never happened. It's, it's the Dallas Cowboys. They cannot sneak up on people. They don't get the grace of figuring things out for six weeks because the minute they're two and three, we're on Mike McCarthy's fired watch here on national TV. That's how it works with this team. I think that works against them. So there's a path. There's absolutely a path. They are one of the three or four best teams in the NFC. Is that enough? That part. Especially with the scrutiny. That part. But let's focus in on that for one final second. Super Bowls are won and lost by quarterbacks, by quarterback-coach combinations, not just quarterbacks. Look at Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, greatest quarterback-coach competition. They have the most Super Bowls. Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, great quarterback-coach competition. They went to a couple Super Bowls. Matthew Stafford, Sean McGray, great quarterback-coach competition, Super Bowl. Dak Prescott, allegedly a great quarterback. At minimum, a good quarterback. Mike McCarthy, allegedly a great coach. At minimum, a Super Bowl coach. Jerry Jones allegedly a great owner, at minimum, a Super Bowl winning owner. So where I stand is, if the Cowboys have one of the greatest coach-quarterback combinations in the NFC, I just don't get joy how you can discount them with such ease. I don't know, 26 years? Last year's playoff loss with Dak running up the middle with no timeouts. That part, because I watched it, because I have watched it, because they have no evidence of being able to take the next step in the postseason. I don't have a question if they have talent. I don't have a question if they have potential. I love Dak Prescott. I have some some questions about their team like I do everybody else. I'm not saying there isn't a chance they will make it to the Super Bowl, by the way. We didn't say win the Super Bowl, make it to the Super Bowl, which for the Dallas Cowboys Getting there would be, be a the start, exact right? Same thing. Yeah. I just am not going to there is a clear path. For that matter, I don't think there's a clear path for any team in the league to make it to the Super Bowl. Everything has to fall your way. You have to be healthy at the end of the year. You have to win big games and big moments. You have to get good calls. There's a lot of luck involved in this, as we know. So nobody has a clear path, certainly not the Dallas Cowboys. Dave? I think you make a a phenomenal point, Manny, which is that they have the talent. And they paid Dak Prescott $40 million. That's honestly what I think the Cowboys are doing right now is they're saying, we made you one of the highest paid guys in the league. It's on you to get us there. And that's, I said it, uh, I did Colin Cowherd's show, Humble Brag, real quick. I said, mm-hmm. that's, what they're, that's what they're doing. They're saying, if you're as good as we paid you to be, it's on you to elevate your game and carry us further than the rest of this roster suggests. It's possible. It's possible. I think we're going to know a lot about just how good Dak Prescott is by the end of this year. Because if this happens... It'll be because this guy leveled up and started playing like Aaron Rodgers. I love it. Well, enough about the Cowboys. They are America's team, the most fascinating team in football. But let's run a fast break, Slick, because I want to talk about the most fascinating team in basketball. If we can head to the big board, big dog, the most fascinating team in basketball right now. Where am I, Rock? Where am I, Rock? I'm not going to dribble it, Slick, because we're on a football field. I'll give you one of those, though. I'm going to give you one of those. Let's talk about Kevin Durant, because he's not the only superstar that has an issue with Kyrie, that has an issue with the Nets' leadership. 
Kyrie Irving slick, I am hearing hates yes. Sean Marks, the general manager for the Brooklyn Nets, and he hates, not my words, another source's words, head coach Steve Nash. What do you make about this new unveiling and Kyrie Irving allegedly hating his coach and his general manager? What's that mean for the Brooklyn Nets? Well, Kyrie Irving says that he's enlightened, so I'm not sure that hate is in his vocabulary or it is a emotion that he indulges in. But I do know that he has demonstrated that he disrespects them, and that may be even worse, mm. which we know from the beginning of the year said both he and KD, we don't need a coach. You know, we can coach ourselves. That was disrespect for Steve Nash. At the end of the year, when they were deciding how do we get together and what do we decide to do about uh, next year's team, he didn't mention Steve Nash as part of that drain tr- brain trust, but he did insert himself in that brain trust. And that's a sign of disrespect to Josiah and Sean Marks to suggest that we are on your level and you need our help in order to make these decisions. And then when he decided to opt into his deal for $37 million for next year, he did so just letting them know. They thought that they were they were negotiating. They thought that they were discussing things. He just let them know, this is what I'm going to do. Blake, let me ask you this. Um, I hear relationally, this is what they say, marriage experts. Yeah. My dad does have 37 years in private practice of marital health. Anyway, here's what I hear. I hear that men need to feel respected. Women need to feel loved. Hmm. So are you saying that respect is more important for Kyrie Irving to display to his head coach and general manager than even like? As long as he respects them, that's all that matters. thousand percent. Because we get this example with uh, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant doesn't like Steve Kerr, but he respected Steve Kerr. And they ended up winning two championships as a result. So that's the most important thing. The only way you're going to be on the same page, the only way way Kyrie Irving is going to buy into what they need to do is if he respects what they're trying to do. Love or hate, look, uh, the emotions, you'll probably experience this, right? Guys don't need to necessarily like each other, right? They just need to be able to respect each other so that they can get their respective jobs done. Can you hold my rock real quick? I can. Slick, I'm thinking about the messenger. The most important to me, most important thing to me, anytime you hear a message, who's the messenger? If it's Kyrie or if it's KD, Mm. I don't give as much weight to the message, y'all. So even though Kyrie allegedly does hate his coach and hate his general manager, which, by the way, Kyrie Irving's agent... His stepmother did refute. I will give them that credit. She did come out and refute the sources that Kyrie Irving does hate the two. Right. But even if Kyrie Irving does, I'm thinking, who do Kyrie and KD like? Right. So at the point in which I'm hated by Kyrie and KD, I fall amongst the masses. It's not that big a deal. So much more to watch with this situation. So much more to watch with the Brooklyn Nets. And so much more to watch with Speak for Yourself. Coming up, the NFL has decided to pursue a one-year suspension for Deshaun Watson. Egregious and predatory-like behavior. Those are the words. We'll give you our thoughts next. Speak for Yourself. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, the man in charge, well, he spoke about the league's decision to pursue a one-year suspension for Deshaun Watson. Now, Commissioner Goodell explained this. He said the appeal to the six-game suspension and cited that the reason for the appeal was because there were displays of egregious and predatory behavior. So, Joy, I want to come to you because this has been a very nuanced conversation. You have had a lot of brilliant, intelligent opinions on it. How do you feel about how Commissioner Goodell and the NFL are handling the appeal? Well, I think it's not the NFL's fault and Roger Goodell's fault that this situation exists. So in any situation like this, there's a lot of animosity directed in different directions. And let's bring it back to the fact that this is Deshaun Watson's fault. And the issues with the league are the Cleveland Browns' fault because they're the ones that gave him the contract. So there's a lot of accusations being thrown in every direction. The NFL is not handling this properly. Roger Goodell is overstepping. The situation doesn't exist if Deshaun Watson doesn't do what he did. Now, you can argue that none of this happened, and I don't really have time for that today. I've got stuff to do, naps to take. That's not what we're doing here today. So based off of the recommendation that former Judge Sue Robinson gave to the NFL as the arbiter in this particular situation, she said it was serial, egregious behavior, that it was a pattern of egregious behavior. There was evidence that he lied. There was evidence that this happened. So Roger Goodell feels compelled to add either a fine or more games to the situation based off of the recommendation that they received from Sue Robinson based off the evidence that she read. So how I feel is it's Roger Goodell's job to protect the league. It's Roger Goodell's job to set a standard for conduct for this very front-facing company. This is not a court of law. This is not a mediation hearing. This is a company with an employee who has done something that misrepresents the standards of the league. And that's why he's stepping in. Are you content with how it's being handled? I think it's been very confusing for fans. I think it's been very confusing for a lot of media. I don't feel like there's been a level of transparency that would make things easier for everyone to process. Of course, I'm very sympathetic and empathetic to the fact that this is a very sensitive situation with victims involved. So you can't just throw everything out there. You can't just throw information out there. You need to be thorough. You need to be correct. Of course, reputations are on the line. And the NFL needed this process to play out to its entirety based off of what they agreed with the CBA and with the NFLPA. So would I have liked it to go differently? Would I have liked it to be a, you know, a final determination and we move forward? If it was something that I think appeased the public, which I feel matters in this situation, then yes, but that's not how it's gone. I love how you ended it. If it's something that appeased the public, I actually don't mind how Roger Goodell has handled the situation. After further thought, I spent a lot of time this weekend deliberating over the deliberations of the situation. I said, you know what, Commissioner Goodell, I get it. The egregious behavior, the predatory-like behavior that the judge and the commissioner have restated, it just feels like it merits more than a six-game suspension. Yes. Right? If you just think about it and you hear these numbers and you hear words like egregious and predatory, it just feels like it deserves more than six games. The problem, however, is that oftentimes feelings, they juxtapose law because law doesn't take into account feelings. But this isn't the law. Exactly right. Which is why when, the, when, when push comes to shove, since it is not the law, I get what the Commissioner Goodell is trying to do. It feels like more, so let me bring forth more. Here is my concern, Joy, and, and, and after I state this, I very quickly want your thought. My concern is this. 
With any sort of rule or ruling, if it's not black and white, there's a whole bunch of controversy. Of In the NFL, you have controversy over targeting calls because one hit will yield a targeting call, but the exact same hit won't yield a targeting call. Does it feel like targeting? You know what you don't have controversy over? False starts. You don't have controversy over offsides penalties because those are black and white. It's not up to how the referee felt about it. Did Des Bryant catch it? Did he not? Did it feel like a catch? Did it not feel like a catch? My concern with this not being the court of law, but necessarily a decision that would be more predicated based upon feeling is that feelings lead to significantly more controversy than rules based upon black and white principles. Well, there's subjective and objective, yes. right? Which is what you're describing. There's black and white and then there's nuance. We'd love for everything to be clear, but that's not life. That's not how the world works. There are nuanced situations, particularly situations that involve the subject matter that we're discussing with Deshaun Watson. Where I would push back at be on it being only feelings, we have evidence. We have a report. We have an investigation. We have lawsuits. It's not just, I feel like Deshaun Watson did something wrong. No, we had an investigation. We had a deliberation. And we got a report from Sue Robinson about what happened. And she made it very clear. Lies, serial behavior happens. So it's not just based off of feelings. It's based off of facts. But the punishment. But the punishment Correct. That's is what I'm talking about. The public, not entirely the public reaction. I do believe that there is a conduct line that is being a message that is being sent here, not just to the rest of the players in the league and the owners in the league. I think it's also being sent to the Cleveland Browns. For clarity, clearly there are facts based upon this decision. Right. For clarity, what I am referencing is the punishment is going to be more so based upon the feeling. We know that facts occurred. We know that um, lawsuits have been had. We know that egregious behavior has uh, existed. If you but will. all those things are generating the feelings. Bingo. Um, well, let's go from one quarterback to another because Aaron Rodgers, well, he doesn't feel like he needs to play in the preseason, but... Maybe he should. Keep in mind, remember, the Packers got blown out last year in their opener, a 38-3 loss because they came into the season a little bit rusty. So should Aaron Rodgers play in the preseason? Should he not? It's huge talk, not just amongst Aaron Rodgers, but it's huge talk really in all of preseason when it comes to starting quarterbacks. I want to go back to the desk. I got to talk to my guy, Dave Hellman, NFL insider, one of the most known individuals in the sport, Dave when you think about Aaron Rodgers, though he says he could play in the preseason, do you think that Aaron Rodgers should suit up in the preseason? If I made decisions for the Green Bay Packers, I wouldn't even let Aaron Rodgers put on a uniform in the preseason. I wouldn't even want somebody confusing him for a player. No, I absolutely don't think he needs it. Quick reminder, yeah, they played very bad in that season opener against the Saints. Then they won seven in a row. Then the only reason they lost their next game is because Rodgers missed against the Chiefs with COVID. I believe they finished 13-4. and four. I think they only lost two games that they were trying to win last year. Aaron Rodgers is a four-time MVP. When you reach that stage of football... I don't, I don't care what the repercussions are later. You're too valuable to be lost in the preseason. I've covered the Cowboys for 10 years. I remember the feeling in the press box in 2016 when Tony Romo broke his back in a preseason game against Seattle. And the, the way that the entire season felt like it was slipping away during a preseason game. Now, the irony is that that opened the door for Dak Prescott. Cowboys won 13 games. How often is that ever going to happen? It doesn't. You need your starting quarterback to win games in the NFL you run way too much of a risk 
losing a guy like Aaron Rodgers in a game that doesn't matter. Think of the fact that the NFC North is one of the worst divisions in football. You can win the division even if you do start out rusty. There's just way, way, way too much to be lost if you're putting a guy like that at risk in a meaningless game. I, I get it. I don't, I don't love it because if you are getting paid that much money, obviously you have to protect your investment. I'm for all that. Mm. But as we all know, you can get hurt in practice. We've seen two Buccaneers players, their starting center, backup center, hurt in practice. The Cowboys' second wide receiver going into the season, James Washington, hurt in practice. You can get hurt in practice. If I'm Aaron Rodgers, and for the first time in Aaron Rodgers' illustrious career, the very first time in his career, he's going into the season without a proven receiver. Correct. Or receivers. He stepped into his career, and he had four dudes at receiver. Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, Donald Driver amongst them. For the majority of his career, he had two to three dudes in his his gauntlet. Mm -hmm. Jordy Nelson, uh, Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams among them. Now, Slick, he has none. Yeah. Nobody proven. An undrafted Alan Lazard and a second round pick out of North Dakota State. Nobody proven. Do you think he needs to suit up for the betterment of the team? Yes, he does. Not for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers doesn't need preseason. But because he has all these new receivers, brand new to the Green Bay Packers, Sammy Watkins, uh, Dobbs, uh, Christian Watson obviously is, is hurt. Other than Randall Cobb, pretty much Guys are in, even Alan Lazard is in a different role this time around. So just that familiarity. And I'm with practice and you can get most of your work done there. But there's just something different about preparation for a game, playing in front of a a crowd in a stadium, playing against an opponent, just to get that feel for all these new pieces of what it's like to take the field with Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers is smart enough that he can minimize the injury risk. To your point, which I think is, is, I don't know what it is with sports in general. I get this with the NBA and load management. Like, we don't play anymore. We just, like, we got to be really careful. We're only going to get out there in certain times. And I believe that some injuries are created because there's not enough time Correct. practicing and playing together at, in, at real tempo. And so for all of those reasons, I want to see that. And it also it bothers me a little bit that this is more Aaron Rodgers, just seeing the world through Aaron Rodgers' prism. What's best for Aaron Rodgers? I want more leadership in terms of I'm going to be out there because I got a lot of new pieces and it's going to make them better. I'll say this. In his defense, Aaron Rodgers was like, look, I don't mind playing in the preseason, but if I'm going to play, I'm playing for more than a series. Right. He's like, don't throw me out there for a series. It makes no sense. Yeah. Dave, I get it. You didn't play the game of football, but do you know the answer to this? <laughs> do you know the answer to this Fair. trivia question? Um, what's the best way to get in football shape? Play football. That's it. <laughs> what do you think they've been doing for the last three weeks? Sure. What's the best way to get in game shape? Play a game. Bingo. I, I, I get it. Look, all of that is very fair. I get into, look, I've been doing this for a long time. I get into this argument every summer. It's not ideal. I would love for these guys to be able to go out. But again, risk minimization. You talk about, I mean, you, you of course, you can get hurt in practice. I can get hit by a bus, you know, but like you're still going to wait for the crosswalk, like minimize Good point. the risks. Good point. And you, uh, there's such a big difference between even preseason games and practice. Think about it. You go play a preseason game. There's 40 other guys fighting for their jobs there. You're trying to make a play. You're trying to impress. You can't control what those guys are going to do. Whereas on your own practice fields, with your own coaches, with a red non-contact jersey, there's so much less risk. Of course, anytime you play football, there's a risk of energy, I- injury, but you're go- you, you got to minimize it. And, and, and then again, when you're talking about a guy like Aaron Rodgers, 
he he can make these guys better. I just trust him to be able to do that. Is it ideal that he would be doing it in live action in the regular season? No, but it's so much easier to stomach when you know this stuff counts rather than lose somebody in, a, in an mm. exhibition situation. 5.8%. 5.8%, Slick. That's how valuable each game is to the regular season. You only play 17 football games. Now the league has been expanded to 18 games, but there's a bye week. 5.8%. Every single game is worth that much. The Packers sacrificed that 5.8% of their season last year. Week one. First time in 50 years they got blown out that bad because their offseason didn't go as planned. Aaron Rodgers, he didn't dedicate as much time to practicing as he should have. I don't think that Aaron Rodgers nor the Packers can afford to sacrifice that 5.8%. Because if they don't put in all the work in the preseason and get as sharp as possible, you might have another week one disaster. And the NFC East, excuse me, the NFC is up for the taking. This season, Rodgers needs to go take it. Coming up, it's not just talking about Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback, but we have to talk about the AFC quarterbacks. There is more competition than ever at the quarterback position. That means there is more pressure than ever. We are going to go through every division and tell you what quarterback in each division should be under the most pressure. It might just be your favorite quarterback. That's next. Speak for yourself. Welcome back to Speak for Yourself. This is the most fun I'm going to have today because I get to look at every single AFC quarterback with Joy Taylor's help because there's more pressure than ever amongst the quarterbacks. Your quarterbacks, your favorite quarterbacks. Joy, what I need from you, just toss out a division in the AFC and I am going to tell you what quarterback in that division is under the most pressure, under the most scrutiny. Get me started. All right, we did the NFC yesterday. Start with a stacked AFC West. Which quarterback is under the most pressure? AFC West. There's really no more stacked division in football. Russell Wilson, he just got to Denver. Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr, Justin Herbert. I think this is the most talented quarterback division in the history of the game of football. The AFC West in the year of 2022 is the most talented division in the history of football. So who's under the most pressure? It's Justin Herbert. Uh, it's very, very simple. I've never seen a guy get more praise without accomplishing things collectively. We're already putting him in the Hall of Fame seemingly. I get it, he looks the part, tall, blonde, blue eyes. I get it, I don't know if he should have a surfboard under his arm or football in his hand. He looks the part, but Joy, he hasn't made it to the playoffs yet. Like, he hasn't made it to the playoffs, y'all. Playoffs? Ain't done it. So for that reason, Justin Herbert, to me, under significantly more pressure than Derek Carr, who's teamed up with his best friend, Devontae Adams. Patrick Mahomes, his whole career is playing with house money. And Russell Wilson, pressure, not as much as Herbert. You know, we did not agree on a lot yesterday. We are off to a swimming start. I completely agree. You got to make the playoffs this year, which sounds crazy in this division, but Justin Herbert and the Chargers have to make the playoffs um, this year year anything all right let's move on to the afc north emmanuel acho who has the most pressure this division is tricky because lamar jackson is in it now remember in the north who's going to start for the steelers mitch trubisky penny pickett we'll get to that in about 10 minutes but deshaun watson nah he has more pressure about his own life than on the football field joe burrow house money so who is it lamar jackson joy lamar jackson is playing this season for or with $250 million fully guaranteed. Understand me when I say Lamar Jackson is playing this season for $250 million or he'll sign a deal and he is playing with $250 million. Either way, 
That is tremendous pressure. Knowing I have $250 million on the line or just as much, knowing I gotta prove I deserve that $250 million, man, it don't get more scrutinous than that. I agree. This is a contract situation for Lamar Jackson. It's been a bit of a noisy Wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Uh, my ISP messed up. I know. Did you say I, I agree? You, I, you agree. You say it's I, weird. I don't know what's happening. Okay, the moon is sure. aligning. I thought it was faulty. I, I agree with you on Lamar Jackson. Now, I do think that the Ravens are going to sneak up on a lot of people this year because everyone's paying attention to what happened last year and forgetting that a lot of that was due to injury. I think all the pressure in this division is actually on the Ravens for all the reasons that you already outlined. So... Let's go to the AFC East. Who is it here? So there's a simple front runner in Tua. The simple front runner. And that's what I initially wanted to say. Why third year, Justin Herbert's better, Joe Burrow's better in their third years, allegedly. But the answer is found in this man, Zachary Wilson. There's a quote, Joy. Nobody cares what you're doing until you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Mm. The Zach Wilson jokes this offseason were fun. The whole mom's best friend jokes, they were all fun. We got our chuckles. You got more than your chuckle on the herd. So I get it. But it's only going to be fun if he's winning. If Zach Wilson has another no touchdown, four interception game, which he had last year, all the jokes end promptly. Keep in mind, dude was 3-10 and 10 as a starter last year. Keep in mind, he had significantly more interceptions than touchdowns. Keep in mind, he had a 55% completion percentage. All them jokes, all them your mama jokes, they're going to get real serious if he don't button up this year. No, the obvious choice is to it and the correct choice is to it. So there ends our streak on agree. Uh, no, it is on to it. He's in his third year. He's further into the NFL. They made a lot of changes this offseason to set up things for Tua. They've already tried to replace him three times. He's really got to prove he is the guy in Miami. Zach Wilson will get another year even if he is down. They'll probably go into a coaching change, but they're not going to bail on Zach Wilson if he struggles again this year. The pressure is on Tua. Finally, it's the AFC South. Acho, who has the most pressure here? Gosh, this is an ugly quarterback division. Like, truly, truly an ugly quarterback division. Davis Mills. I'm just glad you in the NFL. You won some games last year. I'm happy for you, big dog. Keep stacking checks. No pressure for Matt Ryan. I mean, he made it to a Super Bowl. He has an NFL MVP. Plus, the Colts, they're not that mad of a fan base. So the pressure to me comes to Ryan Tannehill because, Trevor Lawrence, you were decent enough as a rookie your sophomore year. Ryan Tannehill under the most pressure. You're playing with Derrick Henry. The greatest back of the latter half of the generation, right? For me, Adrian Peterson, clear-cut greatest back of the first half of my generation of ball. But Derrick Henry, a 2,000-yard rusher, there's only about eight of them. And he's believed to have another 2,000-yard season in his back pocket, y'all. Ryan Tannehill ruined all of Derrick Henry's greatness last year because they were the one seed, went to the playoffs. Tannehill had three interceptions, and they got bounced by Joe Burrow in Joe Burrow's first playoff appearance. Ryan Tannehill, you better step up, big dog. I don't adamantly disagree with you, but I do slightly disagree with you, only because of the makeup of the organization and where the Colts are right now. I think that they will have a coaching change if they don't do well this year. I think it is a new opportunity for Matt Ryan. It wasn't the most gracious exit from Atlanta. So there is a little bit of pressure on Matt Ryan to take them over the line that Carson Wentz, your guy, couldn't do. I'm not buying into Ryan Tannehill and the Titans anymore. I love Derrick Henry. He might be my favorite player in the league. But like you said, his hard work is squandered yeah. constantly. So I don't know the expectations are going to be as high for the Titans this year. Mm, I hear you. Well, hopefully Tannehill can fulfill the Titans' Super Bowl dreams. And speaking of dreams, last year's Field of Dreams game was an instant classic. Coming up, find out why tomorrow's game 
could be even better. More Speak for Yourself next. A lot to talk about. After one of the greatest games in recent memory, the MLE returns to the place where dreams come true. Relive the magic when the Reds take on the Cubs for one game in heaven. Boy, that sounds special. One game at the Field of Dreams. Coverage begins tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern on Fox and the Fox Sports app. Joy, I remember you watched that game last year. Uh, what are you excited for when it comes to tomorrow's Field of Dreams? It was, describing it as one game in heaven is perfect. It's so American summer, the cornfield. It's like this poetic moments. It felt like such a big event. And then it turned out to be such an amazing game. Eight home runs, Tim Anderson, walk-off homer, Kevin Costner walking through the, <laughs> through the cornfields. It was really awesome to watch. I'm excited for it. Dave, we were just talking about it offset, the Field of Dreams game. You surprised me when you even said, like, dude, I was tuned in. No, so well, here's the funny thing. I love that MLB figured out how to have, like, a tentpole event after All-Star. Because I mean, I'm in training camp every summer. And even then, I remember between practice, trying to do all this NFL stuff, like all these home runs are blowing up on Twitter. You're seeing this walk off. You're like, oh my God, this is, baseball is like relevant and exciting in August. This is amazing. Because after the All-Star game, if your team's not a contender, mm. you sort of drift out of the news cycle. But I, I love that they found a way to get baseball into the spotlight this late in the season. Field of dreams, one game in heaven, but for the Pittsburgh Steelers, depending on your starting quarterback, it could be a few days in hell. Because word on the street is Mitch Trubisky is looking to be the successor for Ben Rock. We already know Ben Roethlisberger, future first ballot Hall of Famer. But now the Steelers got Kenny Pickett, who they drafted out of Pitt in the first round. Mason Rudolph, former Oklahoma State quarterback, a really big-time college cat. And Mitch Trubisky, former starter for the Chicago Bears. Troy Taylor, you grew up in Pittsburgh. You got the diet yellow colors on right now. Um, If Mitch is the starter in Pittsburgh, how much trouble are the Steelers in? Yeah, they're in trouble. Anybody who is going into training camp with a quarterback competition is in trouble. It's excellent propaganda by all these NFL teams to pitch it. Yes, quarterback competition. (laughs) I don't fall for it. I don't know why fans do. It is not a good situation to go into training camp with a quarterback competition. There are positions that you can have competitions that are great. Wide receiver. Who's going to be the number one wide receiver? Battle it out in camp. Running back. Who's going to be the top corner? Quarterback is not something that you should be having a competition for. Mm. And when you have Kenny Pickett, who you drafted in the first round, who, by the way, played five seasons at Pitt, if he can't beat out Mitch Trubisky, who I like as a bridge guy, yes, you're absolutely in trouble. Ooh, Joy, you hurt my feelings when you say you like him as a bridge guy unless he's something like where Slick resides, a Golden Gate bridge guy, because I love me some Mitch Trubisky. Love me some Mitch Trubisky. Um, Dave, you might be offended when I say this. I'm going to preface with this. But did you know that from 2018 to 2020, Mitch Trubisky, Dak Prescott, nearly identical accomplishments? 25 and 13 records, two playoff appearances, one Pro Bowl, Mitch Trubisky. So Mitch and the great Dak Prescott, nearly identical Mm collective accomplishments. I don't hate Mitch Trubisky. I get it. It's an unpopular opinion. But here, Joy, as a Steelers fan, is why you should have confidence in Mitch Trubisky if he does lead the Steelers forward. The one thing Mitch Trubisky lacks, head coach Mike Tomlin has an excess. My brother played for the Chicago Bears. I know Mitch Trubisky fairly well. What we know Mitch Trubisky lacks is leadership. That's what he lacks. 6'4", can run, big arm. But he lacks the ability to galvanize a roster, galvanize a team, get the troops going. 
I don't know a lot of what Mike Tomlin has, but I know this much. He got a surplus of leadership. So the one place Mitch lacks, Mike Tomlin makes up. For that reason, I'm fairly confident in the Pittsburgh Steelers if they were to roll Mitch Trubisky out as a starter really quick. Slick, remember, with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph as a starter, Mike Tomlin went eight and six. Mm -hmm. Imagine what you could do with Mitch Trubisky. Think you could do something. Yeah, I'm not going to go to bat for Mitch Trubisky. And for you, Dave, to understand that that Emmanuel now is the patron saint of lost causes when it comes to quarterbacks. uh, Carson Wentz, uh, Mitch Trubisky. I mean, it just goes on and on. Uh, Baker Mayfield, I digress. Um, Look, I, I believe that they are not in trouble. Because let's be realistic about where the Pittsburgh Steelers are right now, which is that they are not competing for the division. Mitch Trubisky, to your point, is a bridge quarterback. What I'm going to take from this, and I am Mr. Positivity here, is the fact that Mitch Trubisky has not separated himself, which indicates that Mason, I'm not going to take it as a negative necessarily with Mitch, as much as Mason Rudolph has been competitive, Kenny Pickett has been competitive, and by having both Trubisky not completely fall down and Mason Rudolph show that he's competitive, it means that you may not have to play Kenny Pickett right away. I don't want to do that unless I have to. The more time I give him to develop, particularly for where the Steelers are right now, the better off I am with the guy that I selected as my presumably future franchise quarterback. So I see this competition as a positive. I'm not looking for Tabriski to come in and save the day. I never saw him that way. The fact that Mason Rudolph is, ch- is chasing him or competing for that spot is a good sign. You took the words right out of my mouth, Rick. And I, like, I, I thought I was taking crazy pills a little bit because like, when you say, are the Steelers in trouble, that makes it sound like we expect the Steelers mm-hmm. to be these big-time contenders. That, look, I know there's a lot of Steelers fans. Don't hate me. I just don't think of them that way. Y'all just went through the quarterback pecking order. The AFC West is loaded. Yep. Josh Allen's sitting over there in Buffalo looking like he's about to set the world on fire. Like, this, I'm not saying the Steelers can't make the playoffs, but like this does not look like a team to me that is in the mix. This looks like a team to me that is in sort of a soft reboot. Maybe Mitch Trubisky can get you into a wild card spot. Maybe Kenny Pickett's ready earlier than imagined. This still doesn't look like a team to me that is ready to go toe-to-toe against the Kansas Cities and the Buffaloes of the world. And so when, when you say in trouble, I'm like, no, I think they're in a good spot. Best case scenario, Mitch Trubisky plays at that level that he did for that one year in Chicago, and maybe this is a 9-10 win team. Maybe you start Kenny Pickett earlier. I still, I think either way, it works out fine. And I'm not trying to bet against Mike Tomlin. I think he's a hell of a coach. To your point, he's never had a losing record. Ever. They're still, I just don't think they're on that caliber where we're like, oh, the quarterback could be the difference between a championship and not. That's just not where they are right now. Joy, I can't wait to hear from you. Let me interject quickly, however. If you think that the Steelers are going to have a 9-10 record, but the NFL has historically played 16 games and Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season, then it does not take a Dartmouth degree like Slick has to realize Mike Tomlin always wins 9 or 10 games. He wins 9 or 10 games when he had to roll out my dog Michael Vick past his prime, Dennis Dixon. I know we've we've talked about Dennis Dixon in years past. Like Charlie Batch. Mm -hmm. We have to remember Mike Tomlin always going to win 9 or 10. 
Give him a quarterback who spent a year sitting behind one of the most brilliant minds in all of football, Brian Dable, current head coach for the New York Giants, former offensive coordinator for the Buffalo Bills, along with sitting behind a quarterback in Josh Allen who has played brilliantly, magnificently. I think Mitch is actually probably going to garner some of that greatness for no other reason than osmosis. And Mike Tomlin is going to continue to do what Mike Tomlin has done. What are your thoughts, resident Steelers fan? I mean, I don't hate Mitchell Trubisky. I was one of the few people publicly when they signed Mitchell Trubisky that was excited about it before the draft happened. Like, that's a, that's a nice bridge guy. I agree with you, Dave. The Steelers are not contenders this year. You can have a nice season and not be contenders. There's a difference. I'm not saying that the Steelers are going to collapse. Are they not? They're, they're all hold each other. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Like, hold on. Who do you hold put on. them hold above hold in on. the AFC yes. pecking order? You have, you have Joe Burrow, who just played, uh, played in the Super Bowl. You have Lamar Jackson, who's, who you just said has the most pressure, who's playing for a $100 million contract, and the Ravens are always viable. We don't know what's going on with the Cleveland Browns, so mm-hmm. let's, just, let's just assume they won't have Deshaun for half the year or the whole year, or they could sue and have him week one. The Steelers, it's okay to go through phases as an organization. You're not – this is your first – First year removed from your Hall of Fame quarterback, you don't have to be ready to gear up this year. I have the ultimate respect for Mike Tomlin. What I'm saying is this. Mitch, Kenny Pickett not being able to start right away should be concerning. He played five years in college. He has more than enough experience. Mitchell Trubisky did, has not had the horrible NFL career that everyone Correct. thinks he has. Agreed. He's carrying this yeah. bad brand from how things ended in Chicago. I agree with you. He is capable of having some success. He's, we've seen that, but he also has a ceiling. Being a bridge quarterback is not an insult for Mitchell Trubisky at this point in his career. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you, but I see Mike Tomlin. And when I see him, I always think contender. Coming up, it's time for my final thought, my advice for Deshaun Watson, because or Deshaun Watson fights the worst it appears to get. So maybe it's, well, I can't tell you. You got to tune in. That's next. Speak for yourself. It's time for my final thought. Deshaun Watson You should go ahead and wave the white flag. I get it. You believe you're innocent. But it is not what you know nor what you believe. It is what you can prove in court. And we're not talking about the court of law. We are talking about the court of public opinion. So regardless of what you, Deshaun Watson, believe, you are not going to be able to convince the rest of the court, public opinion that is, that you're innocent. So instead, Deshaun, simply wave the white flag because when you tried to fight earlier on, and you rejected the settlement that was offered to you, it ended up with you having to settle 20 different cases and as opposed, as opposed to just one. Admit what we all agree on. You embarrassed yourself, you embarrassed the shield, you negatively impacted women. Self-impose a one-year ban and go ahead and do what will likely be done anyway. That's it for us. We'll see you tomorrow.